Welcome to episode 12 of the podcast, folks, and thanks again for joining me. Today we are joined by Scotland and Team Great Britain rugby internationalist Rona Lloyd. We discuss Rona's career to date and we go back to Rona's school years to where, as the only female out of 50 school kids who played rugby, seen her bullied and ridiculed for playing the sport she loved. So close to quitting the game, Rona made a decision to ignore those that body shame strong and athletic females and committed herself fully to the love of the game. She was soon rewarded with a first professional contract and hasn't looked back since. Described in national press as a try-scoring sensation, Rona has now represented Scotland and Team GB all over the world and now plays club rugby in France. However, Rona has used her platform to raise awareness of the continued pressures young males and females are under in the pursuit of their chosen sport, often comparing themselves to the filtered and photoshopped images which are all over social media. Rona explains how educating the younger generation and providing those with the role model that she never had is much more important to her than anything that can be achieved on the field. Like one is like I'm hugely competitive and kind of have that naturally and like I want to be like the fittest and the fastest. Yeah, rugby was so impactful at so many points in my life but I think for me like I've gone on to play at that professional level but I think just people like being active and competing in sport is can have such a massive impact on your life at every level like oh no definitely like I was I was fully going to quit and then associated like playing rugby with like being a masculine sport like we just didn't even on social media and stuff like it was and what you've seen in magazines what you've seen on tv like there was no female athlete role model any tiny platform from from being a professional rugby player in Scotland and I'd like definitely want to use that to to promote the game in a a really positive light and to promote like positive body image and Rona, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we obviously first met each other, or the first time that we met each other was at Murrayfield a few months ago when we were both there for a, um, a fundraising night for Man's Name Study Foundation. I was lucky enough to get a quick chat with you and things and along with other uh, international Scottish rugby players as well. It's a charity that we can both hold close to our heart in the fight against motor neuron disease and you were part of the panel up there that was answering questions about your career and different bits and bobs so uh, that's why I reached out to you and thanks very much for, for agreeing to come on the podcast and talk about talk about your career and your life so far. No thanks for having me and I think that night in Murrayfield like I, I think what you did kind of blew me away with <laughs> your getting up in Nevis with all that on your back so no it's yeah it's brilliant to come along and chat a little bit more. Uh, how are you feeling being back in the country because I know your your uh, your rugby career has taken off and you're, you're spending a lot of time you're just back from? Well back from well we had three and a half weeks in Cape Town so that was for it's called WXV so it was a new competition by World Rugby to try and get more competitive fixtures for the women's game and that was yeah the, f- the first instalment of it so they had it in three tiers and Scotland were in that middle tier so it was called WXV2 over in Cape Town um, so yeah had had three games there we were lucky like one or, one or three games and won the tournament um, got to be in South Africa for South Africa winning the Men's World Cup which was <laughs> pretty Amazing. yeah pretty good way to celebrate um, then it was straight to Malaga with sevens so I play 15s with Scotland then I play sevens with Great Britain so yes very busy but like so so lucky uh, kind of yeah, to get to amazing I was obviously seeing some of your updates on social media and I'm like oh my god that looks <laughs> amazing but Noel it's terrible here you're training hard playing hard working hard but it just looked uh, it looked amazing the things that you were getting up to and stuff so well deserved obviously uh, are you glad to be home Yes, I got yeah two weeks at home and then kind of back into it. But no, it's nice to have some some downtime and, and catch up with the family. Not too nice when the sun sets at four pm. No, no, but other no. than that, <laughs> it's, it's, it's short days, isn't it? Uh, so, 
Tell us a bit about yourself going back to your kind of earlier years and how you progressed through school and what captured your imagination as far as getting involved in rugby. Um, from what I believe, you were the only female rugby player when you first started in, in your, the team. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself as far back as you want to go and we'll just take work up to present day. Yeah, so the, when I was younger, so my mum and dad have always been rugby mad. So I guess that was what first kind of got me into rugby in terms of like, I would always go and watch Edinburgh men play and Scotland men play because like when I was younger, you, you did not see women's sport like it wasn't on the telly you weren't going along to any games that just didn't exist or I guess it did exist it was just that we couldn't see it Uh, there was just that barrier there so was always into rugby that way but never played myself and then as I went to Tynecastle High School in Edinburgh and they had like a rugby taster session at the school so it was one of the Scotland women players at the time Sarah Quick who came along and took all 50 of us or whatever it was for like this this taster session and I just absolutely loved it like loved like the kind of the contact element of it, like the team element of it. Like I think rugby, you need to be like strong, you need to be fast, you like need to have uh, be passing, kicking. Like it's a sport that really has like there's so many different things that you yeah. have to be good at, and that was something I loved about it. And definitely that rugby community in terms of it doesn't matter if you're like if you're big, you're small, like what size you are. There's like a position yeah. on the pitch that really needs your attributes, which I think is so unique in a sport. Like you don't really see that in in anything else. So. Yeah, anyway, from that taster session at school, then went along to Murrayfield Wanderers, which was my the local team. That was kind of where Sarah Quick had, had told me to go along. I think she noticed that I was enjoying it a lot more yeah. than everyone else. Um, so yeah, from there, went along to, to Wandays and played my under-15s and under-18s there. But was, I don't know, was definitely being like a women's rugby player at that time just wasn't something that was was celebrated like had quite a hard time about it in school which is funny because I think when you're like 14 15 that seems like like the end of the world like it seems like such a big deal um then yeah after after you leave school it stops being a a big deal pretty quickly um so yeah I guess the at that point there was like a time that I was gonna I'd just gotten to the Scotland under 20s but I was like I was planning on stopping playing rugby like kind of was getting like bullied at school about it and thought like I'd, I don't want to do this anymore and so that would have been like 12 years ago now and now when I look back I'm like so ridiculously thankful that I didn't stop because it's literally like taking my life in this like unbelievable direction totally, totally defines your, your, your life yeah. I take it even at that stage um, although you were you loved it the probably you never thought that you would be able to make a full-time career out of it. Yeah. You know, it was maybe only ever going to be a pastime or a hobby, something you clearly excelled in, but I wasn't going to put food on the table. Well, that was definitely it as well. Like, the, it was a mix of... There was that side of it. So, in, I, I guess, in that time that I was I was going to stop playing rugby, it was the... I'd, like, just got into Scotland under-20s, and the coach at the time had called me and he was like, look, just keep going to university and then like make up your mind. So I was like, right, okay, I'll like, I'll, I'll join the uni team and, and see what that's about. And actually like totally fell in love with the sport again. But from that point, and even like the first probably five years I was playing for Scotland, like it wasn't professional. Like there was at the start, there was, there was no money in the game. So yeah. you were, you were training like you were professional, but I was studying, I was working at Sainsbury's. Yeah. Like it was, when I look back at what we used to do, it was crazy. Like there was a time that I would get, I would start this, well, this was when I was in Loughborough. Yeah. I would, I had this job t- cleaning tennis courts. That's what I did, like on this Jesus. big go-kart, like going around the tennis <laughs> courts. Um, so that would start at five. I would do that from 5am till two. 2 p.m. I'd go to the gym. So it'd be gym like two till four. I'd have a skill session after the gym that maybe take you to five. I'd go home and eat. Then you'd be back training seven till nine at night. And I would do that like 
day, like back to back days for weeks. And that like, it was crazy. Like to think now, I don't know how we ever did that because I'm very lucky in the past, say the past two years, Scotland women has gone professional. So before England women were, France women were, um, and very recently, Scotland, Italy, Wales have all gone professional. Ireland have as well now. And yeah, I've, I've benefited from that. And now I'm doing all the same training as I was before, but instead you're, you know, you're getting your eight hours sleep and you're eating properly. Yeah, and definitely. And it, it enables the standard to become even higher because you can devote yourself to, to training, looking after yourself. You're not having to worry about your studies. You're not having to worry about getting jobs, umpteen jobs to just like live life. You're getting paid to now be a professional athlete. And obviously Scottish women's rugby will benefit that and the results that they're getting as opposed to, 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 um, to a non-professional team like Scotland once were going up against a professional England team. There must have been a big gap there in the standard. Yeah, definitely. And I guess at the, it's funny because at the time it was definitely frustrating. Like there was this feeling of like, how are we going to beat these teams that are professional? Yeah. But actually that had to happen for the rest of the world to catch up. Yeah. Like the the Red Roses England team who were kind of the first team to go professional, like they've, they've been absolute trailblazers in the women's game. And it's thanks to that that now we're seeing it for so many other yeah. countries and well, the it, gap would just continue to grow and grow and it wouldn't, there would be no competition left yeah if people other people didn't follow suit absolutely so no it's, it's brilliant and it's just crazy how quickly it's happened it's almost kind of felt like overnight that we were then yeah like everybody was quitting their jobs and and doing this full time yeah. so no it's been such an exciting time to be part of the women's game so tell tell us take us back a little bit you mentioned that school school was it was a tough time sorry for you in terms of um, being bullied for, for playing rugby so when you mentioned the taster session at your school it was for boys and girls yeah so that yeah, had so everyone involved full, yeah were you the one of what the only or one of very few that decided girls to take the route to rugby is that the case yeah no from the girls it was just me that went over the taster <laughs> session yeah in some ways i guess it was <laughs> you got one person involved yeah. <laughs> no that was a lot of it but it was yeah like it was just funny at that time like the big thing was um like i just I totally associated like playing ru- rugby with like it being a masculine sport like yeah. we just didn't mm. even on social media and stuff like it was and what you've seen in magazines, what you've seen on TV, like there was no female athlete role models, which now, thanks to like the success of the Lionesses, thanks to like the elevation of women's rugby, like I, I'd like to think girls growing up now do have, but definitely yeah. back then, they just, yeah, it just didn't have at all. And I'd, I yeah, had this thing that I, be, like, I didn't want to look like a man. Like that was my whole, like I was obsessed with it. Um, and do, you, to, do you mean in terms of becoming more muscular? Like being, well, yeah, yeah, like I just associated like being muscly with being masculine, like just didn't see that as two different, yeah. like two completely separate things, which which obviously now I, I know it is. Um, so even when I got like my first gym programme with Scotland under 20s, I just didn't do it. Like Really? The, yeah, like, and if anybody knows me now, they would know that I would like, never, ever miss anything in the gym. Like that's one of my favourite parts yeah. of it. But no, just didn't do it. Like just had this thing of like, I like I don't want to look more like a man and if you see me when I was like 17 18 like trying to break up and like break into the Scotland team like I was tiny like I was so skinny you'd be thinking like there's no way that <laughs> that girl remember, remember can do this obviously I was here at uh, Murrayfield with, with Natalie my wife and it was the first time I'd met you and I mind Natalie saying I was like she, she was jealous she was like look at the strength on her she is like she, she, she's so fit and so strong um, and she was like that's brilliant for people to see we've got a 14 year old daughter um, and she's in her sport as well but like you were then she she, she she's more into hockey um, and she's kind of ditched that 
side of it where she doesn't actually care now about she's got big strong thighs big strong legs and she goes to the gym and stuff now Good. whereas a year or two ago she was be like but if I lift weights I'm going to look like a boy yeah everybody will slag me I don't care if it's going to make me better at hockey I don't want to do it sort of thing yeah uh, and it obviously goes back 10 14 12 years ago or whatever um to when you were at school and you were going through the same the same thing yeah definitely like I think it's something that like so many young girls will will go through at yeah, yeah at that age kind of that that struggle with like body image and what you look like and especially because yeah. at that age like you just want to to fit in like of you course, yeah right. you just want to be liked by boys and girls yeah and just be accepted you don't really want to stand out whereas that maybe comes um, the older you get did, did that ever get to the point where you were close to just ditching rugby because you, you couldn't take the bullying anymore it was just making you kind of too miserable in that way oh no definitely like I was I was fully going to quit and then it was just that um it was one of my coaches Eric Jones who called me and was like kind of stick out to uni and and see how you feel and that was like a big changing point like leaving high school and going to university then I was then like in a multi-sport environment where yeah. there was I was at Edinburgh University so and I also like I only went to uni to because I had a good rugby program right. like <laughs> that was a whole motivation was for whole getting a degree yeah um so yeah, even in the gym, there was like a multi-sport environment. So we were in with the hockey girls, like the rowers. And I guess that was the first time that I'd been exposed to like lots of different female athletes yeah. that were strong. And then even the girls I was with were like, like so excited about the gym. And I guess that was when I first realised that actually like if getting stronger is going to make me better at rugby, like that's, yeah. that's what to do. And uh, now, yeah. For the first time that you were, you actually realised that there's more girls out out there like me yeah you know, it was not that close definitely environment where you were seen as the odd one out suddenly you had been uh, you were opened up to the wider world at our university that's commended for their sporting programs and then you were being able to see all these other athletes you were able to learn off them be become a role model for some of them as well yeah absolutely um, no that's amazing but let, let's there was when i was doing some research a couple of days ago and i should touch on this point because we're talking about body image and stuff uh, and it was we'll fast forward a few years to 2020 um when it was ireland team the shot sponsors yeah decided to they were there were shot sponsors canterbury for male and female teams and um, the male rugby players uh, they modeled if you want to call that their own strip so that for the, so the media release all featured the male rugby players but the female team they brought in models to to wear the island rugby tops yeah. as opposed to the female island rugby players yeah uh, how did, like, where's the where's the logic in that and how how detrimental is that to females out there that actually you can play it but keep it quiet we don't really want to see you wearing a rugby top. We'll just bring in models just well, to make you look a bit more feminine. Yeah, that's it. Like, and I think it's things like that, that that are so, like, it might seem insignificant, but actually, it's so impactful on the women's game. Like, we want like young girls in Ireland that want to play for Ireland. Like, they should be able to see their their heroes, like, like the players yeah, that they're aspiring to be wearing their kit. And I think that says all. Oh, like Canterbury, like they're a rugby brand for them to not see that that would be problematic like having yeah the male players modeling the male strip and then models modeling the female strip it's like we want to be celebrating strong women we want to be celebrating international athletes and like canterbury apologize and now they're a brand that are really really progressive in the yeah. women's game they've just released ellie codan who plays for england has a range with canterbury she's the first women's rugby player to have their own a range with a rugby right, brand okay. so like there's massive making up for it but it was, yeah. only, it was only three years ago well, do you know yeah. they're known better now and yeah. fair enough they've obviously learned from the criticism that they received but it was pretty inexcusable at the time to to 
to have young females that are in, interested in rugby and want to see their role models, but they actually don't. They see these females models, that are, yeah. that, they're not rugby players. You know, it was just, I was so surprised when I seen it. And I, I, when I looked at the date, I'm like, that is so maybe like 1990s or something like that, not three years ago. Yeah, but I do think in the last three years, like there has been a massive change in, in the women's game. Like, oh, totally. I, I think yeah. women's sport in general has taken a massive leap in... Um, like we were discussing off camera here, obviously we're, this is a new podcast, but we've already had Scotland's top female powerlifter and her, her st stats are incredible, like a 235 kilogram squat, I think it was 230 kilogram deadlift and 110, 112 kilogram uh, bench press. Um, Ali Crawford, who won the CrossFit Games Masters in her age bracket, the only Scottish athlete ever to qualify for the CrossFit Games. And that is just in a small podcast that's 10 weeks old. Yeah. Uh, there's so many strong, fit females out there. And I think that the public perception of women's sport is gradually changing for the better. Um, but do you think there is still like a, a cultural tendency for, for females to be praised and criticised based on their appearance as opposed to their thoughts? and their actions? Um, I think in in sport, I think there's definitely still... I don't, rugby, I guess we're so lucky, like as we said, in terms of like, you you need every like shape yeah. and size to have a successful team. Yeah. So rugby is very inclusive that way, but I do think there's a long way to go in terms of like empowering women to to be whatever they they want to be and especially with those like gender stereotypes and and that works both ways like boys can be like dancing and and yeah. doing anything that's perceived as feminine and totally. and girls can be like playing rugby and playing football and just not having that stigma attached and I think it's one that is getting better year on year like even we're talking about from 2020 to now like we're both noticing a massive difference but there's still so far to go and that's even now when we're celebrating women's rugby and celebrating the professionalization of the sport like that is amazing but there is the disparity in the men's game is still absolutely massive and it's kind of been really grateful for the progress we've had but still recognizing that there's so much more that can be done like actually a good example that's really recent is um when is south africa men winning the world cup and nike had tweeted saying like the first the first team to win i think it was four world cups i, I need to to fact check on that yeah. but the first uh, the first team to win X number of World Cups and actually the Black Ferns, the New Zealand women's team, had have already won six. Right, so okay. it's... Uh, it was just with the only talking about... They were omitting the full females. Yeah. So it's just... Yeah. I think things like that happen a lot and it's just recognising that and, like, language is so important in terms of just saying, like, the first team to win four men's World Cups. Like, it's not erasing the women's yeah. the women's side of the game and more subtle changes maybe need to happen as well just to uh, just to make make the distinction between actually there's there's two sports to compare there's two two sides of the sport to compare here yeah. when we're talking about rugby the default is uh, we're talking about men's rugby but yeah. there's, a, there's, there's a whole success of female teams here as well um, do you get younger uh, younger females chatting do, do, do they see you as a bit of a role model now um, regarding maybe the the body image struggles that they're going through um, with the younger rugby teams that you can help with as well or are you finding that that's not so much an issue anymore definitely like it's one I've had like little conversations with people and or, or like people that have said that they've like they resonated to like the enough campaign that was the one with the Ireland's yep. the Ireland rugby strip and things like that and I think the 
like that for me is absolutely everything like just I think as I started playing rugby and then kind of now have this like very tiny platform from from being a professional rugby player in Scotland and I'd like definitely want to use that to to promote the game in a, a really positive light and to promote bo- like positive body image and when I after leaving school actually it was like I got a message from a girl that was at my school that had said like like that she well she'd started playing rugby she was like love seeing you playing rugby and she was like oh I'm like going to study th- physics at university I know it's a really male dominated environment and we had a conversation about it and I was like like that me playing rugby can th- be transferable to somebody who's wanting to study physics like I think it's just so you you can be so impactful so yeah. me and Sarah Bonner one of the girls on my team we have a a podcast called Women Who Sport and kind of the reason for starting that was like we want to really shine a light on women's role models and as you said with your podcast like the females in Scotland that you've had in like that's who people in Scotland should know yeah definitely um, and yeah they still don't and just take, take us back to when you were at that age if you had the role model that you you and Sarah are now becoming it would have, do you think it would have made your life easier like definitely. massively like so so much easier and I think that's just what I, I lacked looking back like just having yeah somebody that I could look up to and even when I got that um I remember having a conversation with like a PE teacher when I got that weights program and, and I didn't want to do it. And I remember them saying like, oh, like, don't worry, like that won't make you look like, that won't make you look like a man. But actually like it should have, the conversation now, I'm like, that should have been like, like this is going to make you stronger and yeah, who cares what people think about yeah. that? Because like you can be strong and you can be feminine and, and you can be all of those things at the same time. So I think it's definitely getting better. Like even at, at the Scotland women's games, like my first cap, which was in 2016, was in Broadwood. We played at, oh, we played before the Scotland under twenty men. So we were yeah. like the curtain raiser for okay. the Scotland under twenty men. Good. And there was maybe two hundred people there in the crowd and I could name most of them because it was all the girls' parents and, yeah. and brothers and cousins yeah. and whatever. And now we're playing at the Hive Stadium and there's five thousand people there and right. we're signing things after the game and it's it's just absolutely crazy like how quickly the game's grown and hopefully the next generation of players that are coming through are, are going to have those role models and are just going to feel really differently about like their bodies about women's rugby and yeah not have it associated with like rugby being a men's sport yeah, which definitely. is really exciting no i think and you should be you should be commended and commend yourself for the role that you've had to, that you're playing and continue to play in that as well um do you think that, that the media and social media in general and, and we're still living in the days and it's only getting worse really heavily filtered and photoshopped pictures and stuff as well um obviously it's harmful it goes be- between say uh, it goes without saying that it's harmful um and it's leading to an increase of body dysmorphia and eating disorders and things as well. Do you think that there needs to be more talk uh, at government level to try and um, bring in restraints on uh, on basically photoshopped images that kids and even adults as well? Because we're all we're all faced. We all want to look better in some way. You know. Um, that they should be labelled the fact that they're photoshopped, that they've, or they're altered. Filtered, that they've been altered, so people when they see it actually realise. I can't look like that even if I wanted to because it's actually fake. It's yeah. computer generated. No one can look like that instead of these filtered and photoshopped male and females are nipped and they're tucked everywhere or their muscles are made to look bigger or their waists are made to look smaller or whatever it may be. And I know having even a 10-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl that 
they see that as achievable, but when in fact it's impossible. Uh, do you think there needs to be more more talk on that? Yeah, that's like, interesting. Like I've never thought of it from like that government point of view, but definitely as like an individual using social media, like I think you need to be so wary of, or not. Well, you definitely need to be wary of who you follow. Like follow like people that that's push you like and that like makes you feel good. It's like I guess yeah restricting what you know is not going to be like make you feel good about yourself because i do think social media especially the more that i've used it like it's so fake in terms of you can post whatever you want as you said you can alter images but even just in terms of you can yeah you can have a completely different life on social media than than what you do have in real life and i think social media like there's bits of it that i absolutely love in terms of definitely promoting the game like connecting with people um even yeah like your podcast like seeing bits like that on social media that does make you feel good but then it's also like being aware of like all the negativity that's out there and I guess just creating space between yourself and that like I know that the like with my social media like I don't have notifications on and stuff like that because it's like I don't want to be like kind of seeing that as gratitude and tied to I almost yeah you don't want to be consumed by your social media it's there as a tool yeah for connection it's there to promote what you do and um and it's there for you to see what other people are up to that you're interested in but you don't want it to be like a a a 24-7 camera that's following your life. Well, that's it. And especially, like, I don't want... If I've posted something on social media because I liked it, I don't want that to be affected by how many other people like it. Like, just trying to do... Yeah. Like, do things for ourselves, I guess. No, totally. It was just, again, um, I think it's crazy that... So, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, anorexia and stuff, it it, it takes me back to when I I was at school and one of my good female friends, she, she was on death's door with anorexia at the age of 14. Um, I can remember seeing her and I still speak to her now. Um, and, and I actually thought that that things were getting better, but they're not, they're getting worse. And it's social media that's playing such a pivotal role in that. Um, the hospital admissions for um, eating disorders are through the roof and for females, but there's more and more males, young males that are getting um, hospitalised as well. Uh, and, and although... Uh, eating disorders as a physical condition they're actually classed as a mental illness because it's the way that you see yourself um, and I actually you might be surprised to know this but eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses Wow, which is crazy Yeah, when you think about how many different uh, mental illnesses are out there and people probably wouldn't associate eating disorders as even being a mental health, uh, mental illness, but it's actually got the highest mortality rate. Um, and I think that's why there needs to be a lot more, not so much legislation, I suppose it would come in the legislation at a government level, but there needs to be a lot more awareness out there about the things that people are putting on their social media and how heavily filtered and that it is. Um, because it's just it's just ruining the younger generation. As Definitely. Far as they're... they're uh, their mental health and what they feel is achievable, you know, is 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 crazy. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll park that because <laughs> we've now gone to the point where I think, and it is starting to move that way, where females can be muscular, they can be strong. It's more accepted. We're moving away from the stick thin kind of female image that the girls were told that they should kind of be. Um, so take take me back to your rugby career and. Uh, and where you are now with it. You talked about playing for Scotland 15s. 
the sevens, which is involved in the Olympics and stuff as well. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so th- yeah, that's I guess what I'm I'm doing at the moment. And then it's it's a little bit confusing whenever I explain this to somebody. Like mm. it, it makes no sense. But no, playing for Scotland fifteens with Great Britain sevens for the Olympics, and then my club team is uh, Stad Bordelais, so right. Bordeaux. Um, in France, I'm lucky I've been playing for them for the past couple of years. So kind of between Edinburgh Jeez. with Scotland and Great Britain and then over yeah, there when yeah. I'm playing clubs. So Was that your first professional contract? Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. The, so it was actually, it was funny. So the last Olympic cycle, I was, uh, they had like 21 players training for the Olympics, which, which I was in. And then it kind of kept getting cut. And then there was 15 of us and there was 13 that were traveling. And I was in the last two that was cut so like at the time that was like just obviously it was it was so hard and the I kind of was like right I need a I need a change so this would have been in oh yeah 2021 um when the last Olympics happened the Tokyo Olympics so it was actually off the back of that that I got in contact with a couple teams in France and at the time it was like my friends were like maybe you should like think about this like yeah. it was me like just not being selected for the olympics i was like right that's so it i'm i'm, I'm moving to france <laughs> yeah um but no I, anyway I, I did basically like i spoke to a bunch of teams and it was bordeaux that that had kind of like said that they could help me with accommodation and and that that made the move comfortable and actually it was like when i look back like i th- think it was one of the best things that i've ever done in terms of like i just totally fell in love with the game again and the team in bordeaux they really like rugby's getting more and more professional in france but it still really has that club feel where and like the community feel which was kind of why i first fell in love with the game so even getting to play over there getting like kind of being the person that doesn't speak the language i thought that was huge like as english speakers like that's not a situation that we're in a lot of course and it's so it was so so hard those first couple months but like I'd like to think now that I'll kind of be a a better teammate for the next time I'm like just shoes on the other foot with that one have you managed to pick up the language to an extent yeah Yeah. now now but um (laughs) well it's funny because if you asked me I'd say yeah but if you asked my teammates they'd be like her accent's a nightmare (laughs) Um, (laughs) but no could definitely get by but um yeah, like just such a good life experience, like on and off the pitch, like learnt so much. And now this next Olympic cycle's come round and had another opportunity to to give it a crack. And yeah, you need to, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> That was never in doubt. You were once described uh, by the, tele, the, the Daily Telegraph as a try-scoring sensation. Are you aware of that? You, did you see that quote from your... <laughs> no, I yeah, wasn't aware of that. My mum will love that. 2019. <laughs> Daily Te- Telegraph des- described that as a try scoring sensation after you scored 10 tries and six league appearances in the <laughs> Premier 15. So there you go, there's a stat that you didn't even know about yourself. Um, so, is, how's, how's your performance in France going? Are you playing well? Is it a, a, a good time in your career? Yeah, definitely. Like I think going to France was huge in terms of how different they play to to the rugby over there and definitely just learning off different international players, I think, is so valuable. So, no, I think as well, like as you get older, I don't know how I was having this conversation with a friend like I think when you're like you're younger you're like getting selected for things for the first time and stuff like you're really scared of of making mistakes and I think now I just feel like so ridiculously lucky to be doing what I'm doing like for this to be full-time because even three years ago if you'd asked me if we'd be full-time one day I would have said not in my career and that changed so quickly so I think the like for me I guess the enjoyment of a moment will will always be greater than like the pressure of a moment and that's something I've really held on to like the past season and yeah definitely like seeing the benefits of it. How are you managing to stay injury free? I know you had quite a bad shoulder injury is that right? Yeah so had yeah had a couple shoulder operations um which like rugby it's it's part of the game but that second one I had um this would have been 
I think it was 2018 that was the last big operation I had, so quite a long time ago now, but yeah. it was one I was like expecting to be back playing in four months and then it ended up being 11 months, so right. that mentally was was very yeah, hard. Um, yeah, and I got the operation the same week as another friend got a very similar operation and as we were going through that rehab process together, it was just very evident that I was not like, oh, really? getting behind. this. Yeah, oh. like very quickly, that was made evident. Um, but no, I think all those things like make you stronger. Like I think when you when you are injured, you have so much more to do than people that, that, that than your teammates because you're doing all the same stuff in the gym, you're doing the same conditioning, it, but you've also got all this other rehab to do. You're expected to be watching training, so it's not that you can go and do your rehab while the rugby's on. Yeah, so, you'll be losing your sharpness and your match yeah. fitness and your and your skill level to an extent as well. Do, do you think that, and I know it would be easy to blame um, on injury, but, but do you think that that had a, a factor in, in missing out in selection for Tokyo? Um, yeah, so not even the shoulder one, it was a different one with Tokyo. This, oh, this is just, it sounds like rugby players are injured all the time, that's not true. But, um, <laughs> can, can understand why? Some honest. people would say it's true, yeah. No, um, we were together for 12 weeks um, before Tokyo and for, for eight weeks I'd, I'd tore my hip flexor. So that sounds, was... Sounds so painful. Yeah, it, well, indefinitely tearing my hip flexor. Like that was an overtraining injury, which was, I was aware that this, like the kind of the, the start of the Tokyo training was coming up and... I was I was doing more than I should have, so that was mm. definitely like a big lesson, lesson learned in terms of like take making good decisions. Yeah, just take the foot off the gas and allow your body to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's definitely one that I'll hold on to going into this year. Like trying to stay injury free is such a huge part of competing at the Olympics, which is uh, yeah, I don't think you really see from the outside, but yeah, rugby like where we play a sport, there's a lot of like contact injuries that are. Yeah that are hard to avoid so it's it's just doing everything to make sure that your body's robust and not letting that be the reason that you miss out on something yeah definitely you were you were um a very accomplished athletic in your young uh, athletics in your younger years when you're a really good runner yeah so yeah. did a like did athletics for like two years maybe which kind of at the time didn't like didn't seem that significant but actually now looking back like i think that was massively helpful with rugby like i kind of encourage anybody doing sport in high school to be multi-sport athletes yeah. like I think when you hear of like especially like boys football academies and they're like signing for these teams at like under 11s yeah. like I'd, yeah I'd, I think it's so important to be exposed to different sports and like controlling how your body moves like getting used to different movements being in different environments like I think that can be massively beneficial down the line yeah and surely that cross-discipline from athletics, athletics to rugby would have been beneficial in your rugby career as well having that that kind of natural power and speed um, to be able to take on to the rugby field. Yeah, definitely. You know I mean? And like we see in women's rugby, like we see so many athletes come from, God, even just in the GB7 scene, there's athletics, there's gymnastics, there's netball. Like it, it is a sport that it's yeah really easy to transfer into at a later date. So tell me about your first, your first Scotland cap was back in 2016, is that right? Yes. Against England? Against England, what yeah. A, what a moment that must have been. Um, yeah, it actually went by so ridiculously fast. Yeah. Like I remember us going in for half time and thinking like, God, I've only been out here for no, really? for five minutes. Um, but no, that was that was huge. It was like I'd, I'd been in the training squad and like you still just don't expect it to come. Like I remember that first email and you're like looking at the you'd get the team sheet emailed to you. So you'd be looking down to try and find your name and yeah. like seeing myself at 11 kind of was like, I, yeah, I still remember that moment because it was Your mum and dad it was mad. fans as well. They must've been so proud. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, even now that all the Scotland, all of our parents are on this group chat together oh, and they probably. meet up to have beers between 
between all the matches and yeah so it's kind of given them this whole social life as well it's such a community rugby in general isn't it much more so than kind of football and stuff as well and my son is football daft and oh i'm just trying to drag him to rugby and he will (laughs) he will not budge and it's getting to the stage now and i know i shouldn't stereotype but taking him to these football matches and all the parents are showing each other and the coaches are arguing with other coaches and this is nine ten year old football yeah and you're like Go to your rugby, son. You'll not, you'll not get that there. He's like, but my pals play football, Dad. Um, but well, maybe he'll be one of those late transfer yeah, athletes we're chatting so. about. He's, he's, I'm going to say he's a big boy as well. Not like we've been discussing. There's positions for everybody, um, but I, I'll keep on. I'll keep on trying. <laughs> Chipping away. Um, so, was was your mum and dad ever concerned that did they ever try and talk you out a career in rugby? As far as like your. Um, the longevity goes um, as far as like putting food on the table and having an income and stuff did they ever try to steer away from it no like I'm actually so lucky that they've yeah they've kind of always encouraged me to to do what to yeah to do what makes me happy and yeah they've been amazing that way because yeah it, like rugby especially those first couple of years playing like there is like a like what are you like if you explain to somebody what you're doing they'd be like why on earth are you doing that yeah. like you're nobody was watching the games like nobody cared if if scotland won or, won or lost apart from the players in the room back then yeah you weren't getting any financial gain from it you were actually losing money all the time from like not like taking time off work and and all this so yeah i'm really lucky they were just definitely encouraged me to to do what i wanted to do throughout that period and now i'm very lucky that it's Kind of, we're, we're out the other end of that. Paid and it's paid off now. Yeah. Um, how has the results been for Scottish uh, Scottish women's rugby, both in terms of the 15s and the 7s? There's progression there. Oh, massively. Like that tournament that we've just had in Cape Town, we've, it was six wins on the bounce for us, which was the first time since 2001. Beat USA for the first time since 2001. Um, our first trophy since 2001. So that was, yeah, like a very like important important moment in the women's game and in, in Scottish women's rugby. So that just goes to show that the, yeah. the emphasis and the, and the investment um, is worthwhile. Do you know, absolutely. I mean, if you give these athletes the time, the money, and the facilities to train, then they're, they're going to bring results. And, Definitely, and bring back the trophies. Um, what's next? Then what's coming up next? The next for me is back in with GB Sevens for for the next couple of months before the Olympics. Um, well, and before the Six Nations. Sorry, I meant to say. Um, but. Are actually our next tournaments of GB or Dubai and Cape Town, so hopefully get get back over to <laughs> Cape Town. Um, yeah, no, we're like it's kind of mad that I always think that when we're away, I'm like somebody's like paid a plane ticket for me to come here and play rugby. Like it's it's ridiculous, Not but, but that's it's very fun. No, definitely, it'll take a while. It's there for sure. Um, tell us a bit more about your podcast, then Women in Sport. Is this just an idea that you as it Sarah as Sarah um, had to? that came up with or or was it kind of an opportunity that was presented to yourselves no so it was the two of us were having we were both at Loughborough University at the same time and we were talking about like how we wanted to do something to promote women's sport and we're having this conversation and then it was it was I'd kind of been thinking about starting a podcast and I spoke to Sarah about this and she was like that's so like I've also been thinking about like starting a podcast and what that would look like and then it was kind of just like uh like let's let's do it and then we bought this we bought a microphone off Amazon for like 30 quid <laughs> and we recorded the first episode. We went back to my room in Loughborough. We both sat on bean bags and we had the microphone in between us and we recorded this episode. Then when we listened to it back, you couldn't, all you could hear was the rustling of the bean bags, <laughs> like the sound of them. Yeah, yeah. We just had no idea what no, we were course. doing. So we've definitely figured it out as we've gone along, but even all of all the episodes we've, we've done, like we 
always end them like thinking about something differently or like we're always kind of inspired by who we're talking to so yeah if you had to that was my next question what kind of guests have you had on has it been i think it's opened your eyes to a lot of uh, women that are doing well in sport as well oh massively yeah like we just had such inspiring conversations and there's always things that you can relate to or things that you think differently about and yeah we just absolutely loved it really like we're hoping to start another series in in january and yeah especially now that we we are both lucky enough to be doing rugby full-time like I think it's so important to have other bits going on and other yeah, things that definitely. challenge you and like kind of having that passion off pitch and for us yeah it's definitely the podcast good how long has that been going for um we started it during lockdown oh, so really? it must have been like 2020 or maybe it was just before that that we started it but we are quite with the way that our schedules go we'll do like a, a 10 week series and yeah. then it'll be like a couple months off doing other bits and then we'll come back to it but no it's yeah we've absolutely loved it brilliant so tell us a bit more about how how you stay motivated or maybe disciplined to be a professional rugby player there must be some days or weeks that um things are just not going well you're picking up niggles you're picking up injuries maybe you're just not your, your mind's not in the training or your, your nutrition and diet how do you get by the the stages which every everybody will have yeah um Tell, tell us how you managed to put them to the side and just get through them I think for me it's a couple of things like one is like I'm hugely competitive and kind of have that naturally and like I want to be like the fittest and the fastest and I want to be getting picked and just that has always always motivated me especially when you're doing training on your own it's like I'm I'm accountable to myself and and that's definitely been a big a big driver and it kind of like wanting to be the best version do you think of that me missing, that I can be. Do you think missing out in Tokyo has, has, has driven that even further? The, actually, I think the thing that at first drove it actually was when um, it was kind of going a lot further back was when I was, so when I was like, yeah, 17, 18, um, Scottish Rugby started something called the Academy that like all the the young female players that were like up and coming were, yeah. were put in this academy and I, I didn't get selected for it the, the first time round. And we had this fitness testing coming up like a couple months later and I was like right I am like I remember thinking like I'm gonna like do the best at fitness testing and like beat all these people that yeah. were in the academy and like that was what motivated me then and I think from that period like just got so disciplined and actually even like I remember like I'd go into the gym hall after school and I'd be doing like interval sessions and I'd be I'd be doing sessions in the gym and all this and that's like I think looking back like that kept me out of so much trouble like that kept me so yeah. focused and yeah at the time I was just basically wanting to <laughs> to beat other people um but no I think that I kind of got it then and I'm, I'm lucky that that stayed with me and yeah so I guess it's like that kind of internal motivation but also being in a rugby team like I'm accountable to my teammates yeah. in terms of I don't want to let them down and like I, I want nothing more than for for Scotland to succeed for Great Britain to succeed and for those teams to be the best that they can be like I need to be the best that that I can be so it's definitely a massive part of it is that accountability to other people and not wanting to to let other people down and knowing that they're working hard so yeah you need to work hard for I need them to work hard well. for them yeah no, definitely um if you could go back and give a younger Rona some advice um regarding uh, your, your kind of struggles at school with body image and things or even take it after that what would it be like what have you learned about yourself what are you most proud about yourself the, I think if I was to go back, I would definitely say like, I think a big part of it would be like 
people's opinion here doesn't matter yeah. like the your peers at school like once you leave school like they're what they think is so insignificant and and you'll realize that down the line and I would definitely tell them like rugby is not a masculine sport like rugby is for for everybody and I would definitely help them figure out that like gender stereotype thing because yeah I think if I was to to go back I definitely would have been in the gym a lot a lot earlier and, and got a bit of a head start on those things but also when I look back I'm like I learned so much from that and I guess that's why I'm I'm so passionate about it now yeah. Um, so yeah I think it all kind of makes you who you are yeah definitely I mean we, we spoke about you kind of had a, a, a lack of role models in, in your life as far as um, the rugby side it goes but who, who would you say was kind of has been most influential in the way that your career and life has has developed in the journey that it's taken I think I'd have to like I'd have to say Eric Jones, who's, he was my coach when I did Scotland under twenties, who I I mentioned, like I always think, I like, I remember the conversation I had with him so clearly when he told me, kind of like not, not to, to pack the towel in and to, to keep going. And I, I think like, I'm so glad that he was there in that moment to, that I guess that he's seen a bit of potential in me and that he called me up and made that happen because yeah, honestly, like I have no idea what I would be doing if, if I wasn't really? playing rugby. So although you went to university, it wasn't really for the academic side of things. You just went there because I had a good gym and a good rugby Yeah, I hope my tutors are seeing this. Yeah, like it was, like I was like the first generation of my family to go to uni and that, like it was totally motivated by Edinburgh Uni, had a really good, good rugby programme. And actually that was like, that made me study as well. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, rugby was so impactful at so many points in my life. But I think for me, like I've gone on to play at that professional level, but I think just people like being active and competing in sport is can have such a massive impact on your life at every level like the community it gives you in terms yeah. of your friends like teams of all levels are going on tour and going abroad and and having fun and yeah I just think there's so so much to be gained from from being part of a team sport and like how good being active is for your mental health all of that so that I always try and encourage people like to to be active and and to give that a go. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people out there that can you know, success. The term success often means or is defined by how much money a person is perceived to have. Um, but we all know people that have got money and they're so miserable. Yeah. So, and I think there needs to be more a uh, focus on actual, the, the meaning of success should be how content and happy you are, how much you're pushing yourself, how much you're enjoying your life, um, as opposed to what salary you bring home at the end yeah. of the day. Uh, and I think if more people focused on doing, everybody knows what they enjoy doing. Do you know what people say? Oh, I don't know what I like. Everybody knows what makes them tick. Yeah. And I think there should be more focus on just pursuing that. Um, it doesn't need to be a career. It might it might not always end up in a career, but um, like you're saying, as far as your mental health goes and just your happiness in general, you playing rugby will, will have so many more positives on other aspects of your life as well. Yeah, not definitely. Just, not just turning up to play rugby. Um, we'll start to bring the podcast to a conclusion now, but if you could be if you could be remembered for one thing, Rona, and we've talked about the fact that you are now like a, a present-day uh, role model for the younger generation, both, both males and females and for Scottish sport in general, um, but if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I th- think like if I was to remember for one thing, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you can make it two things if you want. <laughs> no, I think it would. It would. I'd want it to be like like being kind and he- like helping people with with that sort of stuff in terms of like body image. Like definitely being a a good role model. Like I think the when I retire playing from rugby in five years or or whenever that is, then I'd like that is so much more important in terms of 
growing the game and yeah. and kind of leaving leaving the Scotland shirt in a better place than when I picked it up all, all those years yeah. ago and yeah I think that's so much more important than anything that happens on the pitch definitely Mona thanks very much for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it no thanks for having thanks. me